is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of More Than Child's Play podcast. This is Lacey Marisi, pediatric speech-language pathologist here with you today, and I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast Michael Powell. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Thank you. You're welcome. So I just want to introduce you a little more formally to our audience and let everyone know who you are and kind of how we became to know how we come to know each other and how I invited you on. So Michael is a school psychologist who currently works in Morgan County Schools in West Virginia. He also works for the West Virginia Birth to Three program offering evaluative services as well as offering private evaluations. Most importantly though, Michael wants you to know that he is the father of four little girls. So I think your girls probably give you a lot of experience in your field. Yes, yes they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep me honest. Yes. Okay. So I met Michael um, through our mutual work for West Virginia Birth to Three, because again, I am a speech language pathologist for Birth to Three. And over the past few years, I've really learned so much from you, Michael. Um, just being a team member alongside of you, um, working with families, you know, listening to you re- review your evaluations with families, listening to you provide and discuss strategies for families to address certain concerns that they have with their child. I mean, my only wish is that I would have started working with you years ago when my kids were toddlers. (laughs) So I could have implemented some of this stuff to make my life a little bit easier at that time. My kids are all older now, but, um, but still, I, I really value, again, just working alongside of you and learning from you because then that helps me to be a better, well-rounded earlier intervention practitioner, able to help families out a little bit more than, you know, just with communication. So I appreciate any any um, opportunity to work with you and I'm very thankful for it. So um, thank you. The, I wanted to have you on. One of the major, major things that we discuss with families that have infants and toddlers are tantrums, right? I feel like it's very common. Probably most all families I work with want to discuss at some point tantrums and certainly little ones have tantrums and they can vary in length and severity over what the tantrum, you know, what sparks the tantrum. There's lots of conversation about tantrums in our field though. Um, But, you know, I think it's a very important topic to discuss. Again, I want to equip myself with as as much information as I can to be able to talk to families about this and help them. And I wanted to have this podcast discussion with you so that, you know, anybody who wants to take the time to listen to this episode can learn a little bit how to handle tantrums. Or if they're a practitioner, they can learn, again, how to better discuss this topic with the families that they serve. So, yeah. Again, welcome to More Than Child's Play podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for share, the willingness to sharing your share your wisdom. And without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started. So, you know, tantrums, they're often thought of as this sometimes dreadful, bad, undesirable behavior that toddlers engage in pretty often when they're angry or, or maybe, you know, we feel like they engage in a tantrum or throw a tantrum because they're trying to get their way. Um, so I feel like most commonly they're viewed as a negative thing and Mm -hmm. then reacted to in a negative way. But I've heard you explain tantrums much differently from a totally different angle. So would you share with us um, how you define a toddler tantrum? Sure. 
Um, well, first off, uh, it's easier to preach what we're about to discuss than it is to practice. Uh, <laughs> having four daughters, um, it, uh, I know that from experience. I live it day in, day out. Uh, I have my good dad moments and my bad dad moments. Uh, I just try to shoot for more good dads than bad dad moments. Um, but as far as tantrums and how I define them, um, and what's helped me also my own response with my own children is to look at look at the tantrums as communication. Yes. Uh, that is when I'm able to, when I'm at the right state of mind, the right stress level, where I can actually see it for communication, for looking at a little one, seeing that they've hit a stress point that they can no longer handle. They do not, they don't have the uh, tools or the regulation, uh, self-regulation abilities to deal with the stress and the situation that they're in. Um, so when I'm able to see the tantrum as actual communication, especially for our youngest ones, uh, behavior is their main mode of communicating. Um, then I'm able to, one, kind of pump my brakes on the anger or the frustration I feel from the tantrum, tantrum, because a lot of times that's our initial reaction to someone, whether it's a child or someone of our own age or size, when they come at us with that intense emotion, we often match that intense emotion. But if we can slow down, if we're in a regulated state, we can slow down and actually see it for what it's worth. And that is some kind of communication of letting us know that they need help. They need support. Um, then I'm able to better uh, respond to them uh, in a way that I first maybe um, help them regulate or bring them to me, bring them, connect with them, help calm them in any way I can. Uh, sometimes that's successful. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but that's usually how I try to flip the switch. And again, it's, it's automatically my brain wants to say, uh, I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. They're not going to throw tantrums. They shouldn't act that way over this or that. Uh, it takes a lot of self-control and self-regulation to be able to pump your brakes and say, no, actually it's this child needs help. My child needs help. Um, they have hit a stress level that they cannot handle with the tools that they have. And they're trying to communicate to me that they need help regulating. They need my help. They need my love. They need my care. And I like that you pointed out tantrums are sometimes a way of communicating, you know, and that's how you kind of, like you said, flip the switch. You know, oftentimes when kiddos have delayed expressive language abilities or they aren't using gestures to communicate quite as much as they should at their age, we we see that frustration grow and we see the increase in tantrums. Mm -hmm. But just a reminder to our audience, yes, kids that are delayed in communication will sometimes have tantrums because of frustration related to an inability to communicate. But we also see tantrums as a means of communication, even when their language isn't delayed. This is very yes. typical toddler behavior, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very typical. We and can't sometimes, just blame it on lack of communication. Yeah, and sometimes our uh, little ones that have a lot of communication still experience tantrums, of course, and it's because of the frustration of they have this vocabulary, but they don't quite have the vocabulary to express what they're feeling because feelings are so abstract and they can be so intense that I have this skill, but I can't use this skill. So that can almost be more frustrating than when you're used to, oh, I don't have my words, so this is what I do. Um, it can almost be more frustrating for those ones that we expect to use your words, as we often like to tell them, um, yeah. which as adults, if you were in a very intense, stressful moment and someone came up to you and told you to use your words or use appropriate words, you probably wouldn't respond to favorably. Exactly. 
And that phrase, use your words, it's, it's typically delivered and used very well intentioned by parents, but it's kind of one of my pet peeves because oftentimes <laughs> they can't retrieve the words, even if they have them because their emotional state is so high Yeah. Or, or if they're a kiddo, they, they might just need to hear the words. They still might need our model first to be able then to use their words like we want them to do. So something else, um, I often um, describe toddlers as impulsive. Do you feel like that impul impulsivity comes into play sometimes with tantrums too? Like they just kind of react quickly without stopping to think that, oh, I could maybe communicate in a different way besides just throw this tantrum. Do you feel like that plays into it a little bit too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a learned skill that, that impulse control. Um, and of course our brain, as it develops, it, it, it is able to learn that skill um, quicker and more efficiently, but that is something that we we're not born with. We're, you're not born with impulse control. Um, it's something that's learned and modeled and you it's modeled through how, how, as we as caregivers respond and co-regulate, but yeah, that definitely can play a part in it. Um, and the more stressed you are, the more likely you are to be impulsive. So no matter if you're a one-year-old or a 21-year-old, if you are at the right state of stress where you're calm enough and you have a, enough energy to deal with whatever life is throwing you, then you're less likely to be impulsive. Um, you're more likely to be able to have some self-control and to stop and think of a better way to deal with it. So it, again, coming back to how we read behaviors and realizing that it's often related to stress. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so impulse control is a learned behavior, something very important to keep in mind as a parent dealing with tantrums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or any behavior that's undesirable. Yeah, yeah, that impulse is strong. So we have to just mold it and shape it into something that's more appropriate. So, okay. So um, I've heard you talk to parents about this before, so I wanted to bring it up. You know, how can a parent or a caregiver of a toddler anticipate a tantrum? What can they do to look more closely to kind of know if one's coming and hopefully extinguish it before it even gets to that point of a tantrum? Yeah, good, good question. Um, so a lot of it's just learning your, your child's signs of stress and their stressors. So the things that they do when you, when they start to become stressed, and then also the things, you know, that just kind of push their buttons. Um, so the better you understand those, um, the more likely you are to be able to intervene at the appropriate moment when it, when the stress level hasn't hit that fight or flight. Um, because once the stress level pushes to that point, that's usually when the tantrums come. It's usually when our strategies need to just be focused on helping the child calm and regulate and not on trying to teach a lesson or to have a power struggle. Um, so it's, it's really important for us to dig into those. And once you start to learn some of those early signs, you oftentimes find like, oh, well, actually, this isn't the earliest sign that I could identify. Now that I understand this one, I look at it from a different perspective. I see this happening and that happening. And there's something called uh, flock behavior. So a lot of us have heard of fight or flight, um, but there are also something called flock behaviors. And this is actually our very initial intuitive kind of way to deal with stress. And that is trying to get help from someone, help from a caregiver, help from someone that you know is reliable and can be supportive. Um, and those flock behaviors, a lot of times for kids can be the behaviors as we as adults, especially when we're stressed or um, having to do a million things at one time, we see as annoying. So the whininess, the tugging at the shirt tails, the will you play with me or I'm bored or you, any of those little nagging behaviors. And those are oftentimes, and I use this a lot when I'm talking with parents or giving talks is when I'm having my good days, I can see my child's flock behaviors. And a lot of times it's, I want to play with you or come do this with me. 
I can see those for what they're worth as the very earliest sign I can intervene, I can help regulate, I can give attention and affection and help them get to a better stress level. But when I'm not on my game and I've had too much stress myself, whether it be from work or whatnot, and I just tell them, you know, go play with your sisters or uh, I'll play with you later. or I have to cook dinner. Don't you know all these things I have to do? Um, like I give them that lecture. Then a lot of times they go, okay, I'll go play with my sister. And then about five minutes later, instead of trying to help one child at the earliest signs of their, their stress response, I'm dealing with three or four uh, girls fighting and at each other's throats. And that's a lot harder, takes a lot more time to, to help through that situation than if I would have spent five or 10 minutes just playing with my child, listening to them from the first point. And again, as a parent, uh, you know, working not just one job, but a couple jobs here and there, uh, I understand that our lives get busy and we get stressed. But the more we can do that, the easier our lives will actually be. Sure. So the flock behaviors, like you said, maybe asking if daddy, can you play with me or coming mm -hmm. and approaching you? That's communication, right? I mean, yeah. clearly, right? Because the child, again, doesn't have maybe the vocabulary or the ability to say the words to you. Like, I'm about to get upset. I'm frustrated yeah. and stressed. <laughs> I don't know any two-year-old that says the word stressed, you know, maybe, but yeah. that's what I've met. So again, communicate back to that whole, like you said, in the very beginning, this is all just communication attempts to try to communicate something to us as adults, but not yeah. able to. So we, we have to watch our behaviors. We have to, you know, clue into what they're showing us. Yeah. Well, and another way to help prevent them is if you know, for instance, in my family, when everybody's getting home from school and I'm getting home from work, that is a very, that's a make or break moment for all of us. Um, it could be, and again, that's when it, I have to be on my A game. My wife has to be on her A game. And unfortunately, we've went through a full day of work. Uh, she's a teacher. I'm a school psychologist. So we come home from dealing with children uh, all day long and then expect our kids to be basically perfect so we could have a break. Uh, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, so understanding like, OK, this is a time where we struggle, not just my kids. We all struggle. This is a stressful time. And then building in environmental supports in that time. So what we've done in the past is build a structure to our day. So when we come home, we get snack, we do this. Um, and then after we've done these few things, then we're going to have free time, play time, or we're going to go do that, um, go outside and, and swing or whatever the case may be. And we try to build that structure so it builds predictability. And the more things are predictable and structured, the less likely they are to cause stress for anybody, a child or adult. Yeah, we know that predictability in routines, that consistency with routines and schedule is a way that young children, the best way they learn, they learn yeah. you know, through that repetitiveness and consistency, but they also find comfort in that. So, um, yeah. so that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay, good. So we talked about how we define a tantrum. We talked about maybe how to anticipate a tantrum is about to happen, how you can step in before it, it goes crazy to help the child. So, um, you know, I think a lot of parents and myself included, so absolutely no judgment, um, we think that the best way to handle a tantrum or respond to a tantrum is to just ignore it, walk away from it, because it is this undesirable, beha undesirable behavior that we don't want the child to continue to engage in. So we think if we, we give it less attention, then hopefully the child won't do it again, right, if we ignore it. Um, because then if we feel like if we if we go up to the child and pay attention, give them attention for their tantrum, they're just it's almost going to be like a reward, and then it will encourage them to continue to tantrum to get the, what they want. And you kind of touched on this earlier. Um, so, you know, what's your recommendation? Do you recommend ignoring tantrums as a way to discourage them? 
Um, is there a better way we can be responding as parents, caregivers to kids when they tantrum? What's your advice with that? Um, I would recommend not to ignore them because again, it's, it's, they're at a stress level where they need help. Those behaviors are communicating. I need help. I don't need to be ignored. Um, and unfortunately, if we ignore it, we ignore it. Perhaps they do find a way of regulating, but the ways that they find to regulate without our support are more likely to be maladaptive. So self-injurious behaviors, um, or maybe of just shutting yourself off. Well, if I can't, if my caregiver, you know, someone important to me won't come help, then I'm just done with it. I'm, I don't want this relationship any longer. And it's not, of course, that's not exactly how it's going through their brain, but it's, it's a reward kind of system where if it's not coming, then I'm going to find a different way to deal with this. Right. Um, so I, I would recommend not to ignore. You want to come in, you want to help um, relate to the child. You want to help calm them. You want to connect with them. So again, it's not, it's not that you're condoning their behavior. You're not saying, oh, this is great. I love the way you're, you're screaming in my face right now. It's more of trying to do the things that help soothe that child and then get them to a regulated state. And then you can reason with them. Um, so Bruce Perry, who's someone that I've learned a whole bunch from, uh, he is a child trauma expert, but his information and his theories and his ideas are relevant to anybody. Um, he has a saying called uh, relate, regulate, reason. So first you relate, you use that relationship key part to help calm the child, to show them that you're there for them, to get them into a better regulated state. You help them regulate. And then from there, you reason with them. Um, and that's after the moment, after you're both calmer um, and your stress level is lower, then you can say, you know, back there where you're screaming, I understand you wanted this or that, or I didn't do this as quick as you wanted, but I need you to whatever you're wanting to try and teach. So let's go ahead. Let's pretend like we're doing this again. Let's walk through it one time. Um, and that might be shortly after, um, or it might come hours later. Uh, it might come the next day. Uh, we have to be aware and cognizant of where our children are before we teach lessons. Too often, we try to teach lessons on our own time when we're ready to teach them. And, and it's not the key opportunity for the child to learn. Right. So, okay, you've also, so co-regulation, is that what you're talking about when we offer that help in, to the child yeah. to regulate their system, to bring that emotional stress down to a regulated Yes. System? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And, and that's, uh, and that's children learn to self-regulate through co-regulation. Uh, that again, it's not a skill that they're born with. It's not a skill that you can uh, read a story about. I mean, of course that may help. It's not a skill that you're going to teach through writings or showing pictures or movies. That's something that occurs to them that happens that they experience. Um, and that's where the self-regulation is. The foundation for it is built. And, um, Edtronic, who, who first termed mutual regulation, uh, because his big thing was that it's not just us regulating a child. That is, it's a, it's a back and forth relationship. So we have to also understand how that child's behaviors are affecting our own emotions, our own behaviors, and how we respond, and then how that response affects them, and then back and forth, and, and it continues on. So it's not just us regulating a child. It's a co or mutual regulation where it's back and forth. And we have to understand that our state of mind, our stress level, our history of how we parent, our history of how we look at behavior all plays into this relationship that is going to then lay the foundation for our child to be able to self-regulate and be more successful in life, hopefully. Yes. 
So reflection on our own response, our own stress level, our own behavior and actions toward the child is just as important as us trying to offer the help to the child. So, okay. So let me just clarify. So you are saying if we, if the child is tantruming and we go to them, it's not going to encourage more tantrums. No, uh, at least not in my opinion. Um, Okay, good. That's, I just want to make sure everyone heard that clear. (laughs) If, if, if your T, if your child is throwing a fit, having a tantrum, over not having screen time or a piece of candy or whatnot, and you go over and give that to them, then you are rewarding them. You're saying, yes, this is the behavior that gets you screen time. This is the behavior that gets you candy. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying come and help regulate that child, co-regulation, mutual regulation, whatever you want to call it. You help that child calm. And then you really understand that you want screen time now. I understand that you want this candy. However, it's almost dinner time. However, you have screen time after bath or whatever the case may be. And then you help teach that that lesson within the moment. Yes, if you were to come and give them the thing they're tantruming over in that moment, that would reward and that would uh, continue that kind of behavior because you basically just taught this is how we get the things we want. Yes. Okay, good. Good. I like that you kind of, you know, delineated for us the difference there just so we really understand, um, yeah. you know. Well, And the other point, if you feel like this tantrum is because the child wants your attention, then to me, that's a deeper issue (laughs) than than I'm going to ignore so they don't realize they get my attention that way. If they have to get to the point where they're tantruming to get your attention, then you need to take a step back and say, why did I ignore them to this point where they got pushed, where they felt like they needed a tantrum just to get me to tune into them? You know, did I have my own screen in my face too much? Was I too busy with this or that? And it might be very valid reasons, but it's still, if you want that behavior to change, that tantrum to change, you have to reflect on, okay, well, how do I adjust? How do I adapt? I am the adult here. How do I change my behavior in order to help my child change their behavior? And back to what you said earlier, reflect back on what things did the child do to try to communicate to me that they wanted my attention before they engaged in the tantrum? Because there might have been a tug at the shirt. There might have been a call for mama. There might have been. Yeah. So reflecting back. Reflection. It's very important. (laughs) Our own reflection as adults. Okay. Now you mentioned in describing um, response to tantrums, how we respond to them, offering that co-regulation, mutual regulation. If we don't offer that, then the child will continue to try to figure out ways to self-regulate, which might um, lead to self-injurious behaviors. So what Possibly. types of what types of self-injury might we see in, in a toddler child? Um, sometimes it's the biting of the arms, the pulling of the hair, the squeezing their own arm or scratch, digging their nails into their arms. Um, I, I, at least I've experienced that a lot in my, my own um experiences with evaluating children and helping families um sometimes it's usually the head banging can be there but it's not the kind there's also head banging that's indicative of of more serious uh, issues going on um but sometimes they will and usually that kind of head banging is a lot softer than the the slamming of into solid concrete kind of thing where um but a lot of the self-interest behaviors are are almost them trying to vent that pent up stressful negative energy they have and get their mind off what they're feeling and so by scratching themselves or digging their nails into their arm or pinching themselves helps kind of deal with it and unfortunately you see it in teenagers and adults with self-injurious behaviors um, of how they they have learned to cope with things because they don't have any other 
um, self-regulatory tools uh, right. available to them. Right. So if we can, again, intervene and offer that support where they, then we can avoid that type of, you know, self-injurious behaviors because they're just looking for a way to regulate themselves. So, and yeah. as adults, we, we have to step in before it gets to that point to offer that assistance. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I just want to kind of chat about that for a second. Yeah. Okay. So, um, calming strategies, you know, what would you recommend? Um, so we go up to the child, they're having the tantrum. We go up to the child. We, we want to help them regulate, but what are some strategies to help them regulate, to help them calm? What are some things you recommend parents try that are appropriate for this age range of toddlers, one, two, three years old? Yeah. Um, a lot of this is going to be knowing your child, but I'll just throw out some things that I've used myself in the past or that I know have been successful for other people. So one is the old standby of distraction. Come help me with this. Can do that. Um, why don't you go get this for me? Or I need help. Um, and that's, that's big... okay, right? Distraction is okay for the oh, yeah. population, Definitely. right? Yeah. Okay. You're helping them regulate. You're getting their mind right. off whatever they're throwing a fit about right? and moving them past it and showing them that this emotion, this intensity you feel is not permanent and you can actually do something about it. So again, you're modeling and you're helping them learn how to deal with it in a more appropriate way. Okay. We, we, we all do redirection a lot of times of when we're feeling these intense emotions. Right. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a good one. Uh, just coming up and giving them a hug without any talk at all. Sometimes we try to talk too much as adults mm -hmm. instead of just focusing on soothing. So whether that's, uh, you know, a hug, rocking, making soothing noises, such as like the shushing, um, or singing a favorite song like a lullaby to them. Um, that those are those are good strategies. Um, humor. I mean, some I know with my own children, that's a good way to intervene. And in, as I notice the tantrum, if I haven't intervened earlier and I, and they already start to do that, using humor a lot of times will help break that up. Um, so that can be a successful strategy. Um, as I was mentioned earlier with the redirection, asking them for help. So a lot of kids want to help. And again, if you think it's because they want attention, if they're helping you, that's like the ultimate that they would love that. And so asking them to help with something or to come and do this for him, or I, I don't think I can get this. Are you strong enough to come over here and help with this? Um, or you think you can pick that up over there? Let me see. You know, anything like that where they can one, be helpful, prove themselves and distract them all at one time. Those are just kind of standbys that I use. Um, but again, knowing your child, uh, the more you understand what they prefer, you know, or do they like jokes? Do they like to kid around a lot? Uh, do they like to be helpful? Um, do they not need anything at all? Do they need you to hold them and rock them? And sometimes the same child could have, depending on where you intervene, will depend on what uh, strategy is most successful. Okay. Okay, good. Those are some good ideas to try, you know, as parents approach their child, kind of knowing, yeah, knowing their child well enough to be able to, you know, figure out what's going to work, but having some ideas to start, I think would be helpful too. So I always talk to families about, you know, what, what, what do you enjoy or what does your child enjoy doing with you the most? Like, you know, making them stop and reflect on that. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be helpful knowledge to know in situations like this, to try to help the child regulate themselves out of a tantrum. And then also what motivates your kids, you know, yeah. like toddlers are motivated, you know, I'm, Sometimes mostly it's by popsicles or screen time <laughs> in my experience, yeah. but that's important, right? Because those, those motivators, I think can be used in those moments too, as a form of distraction, like you said, to kind of get them to move out of that feeling of stress or high emotion that they have. So, um, yeah. okay. Okay, good. 
All right. So anything else that we didn't cover in this discussion about tantrums that you want to add or want to um, recommend to families or um, practitioners? Uh, the, the hardest part is reframing, reframing the way you look at it. Um, at least for me, it was uh, because a lot of us, um, if, if you've started to ignore or you kind of put your, you know, your dig your heels in the dirt, then you've gotten to a power struggle with, you know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, whatever. Um, and that's never, you'll never win that, even if you think you want it. Um, because you're not teaching that kid anything besides whoever has the power wins. Um, if you want your child to learn self-regulation, then it has to be something, again, they have to experience that has to be modeled. Um, and what, has been the game changer for me is when I changed the way I started thinking about talking about behavior. So even when you um, label things, uh, whether it's aggressive or a tantrum, even like when you have those negative connotations, it almost jumps your mind into a certain way to respond or intervene. Uh, and we have to be careful and very cognizant of, am I being biased just by the way I'm talking about this? Um, I know with our work that we do with birth to three, that's some of the times sometimes I have to talk with parents of like, you, we need to not call it, you know, this violence that the child is showing or, and, and again, not saying that they're not being, but the more intense and severe the word you use, the more scared you are of the behavior, the more scared you are of what's going on, instead of realizing that this kid needs love, care, support, they need consistency, they need predictability. Um, they need me to be a consistent, caring and calm caregiver instead of someone that one minute is good with them and next minute's flipping out on them, screaming at them too, because they're screaming. Right. Uh, and it's, it's hard. Again, easy to preach, really, really difficult to practice. Um, and I also share that with anybody that I ever talk with or try to help. Um, I am far, far from perfect. You just ask anybody in my family of that. Um, but it's a continual process. One of the things that you also can't beat yourself up over it. You just got to keep trying. Right. Um, and, th and that's what I, I try to do. Just keep trying. Right. But, um, yeah, you have to forgive yourself and move on as a parent. We all make mistakes. That's for sure. But yeah. I certainly, um, you know, I value and I hope that other people value as well, just learning more. Cause you know, again, just in short conversations I've had with you, I now view tantrums in a less, much less negative way than I did before conversations with you or, you know, working with children and family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just that continue, you know, continuing on that path of understanding children and their behaviors and why they, you know, do the things they do, um, I think is so important because even we can't be perfect parents all the time, but hopefully with that knowledge, you know, and that better understanding of, of children and their behaviors, we can have more glimmers of stopping ourselves, reflecting on what we could have done you know, in this whole conversation, I think it's interesting because probably a lot of people are thinking, I'm going to listen to this tantrum episode because it's going to tell me how to do <laughs> this to my kid or change my kid, right? But I feel yeah. like the majority of what you are talking about with us is more about changing the parent's thinking, changing yeah. the parent's response to the tantrum or the undesirable behavior. Um, and that's, you know, that's the key, key thing. But like you said, I think as a, as a society, we hear the word tantrum and we think it's something that we have to stop it. It's our job yeah. as a parent to make it stop, to quit, to not give it attention. So it doesn't happen again, but we have to get away, move away from that. And as practitioners, we need to share that with families. And so I appreciate yeah. you um, kind of sharing that with me so that now I know the difference. And again, sharing it with everyone else through this podcast episode, but 
Okay, Michael. So um, if there's practitioners out there that, um, again, serve the early, early intervention population, or if there's families and parents out there that would like to learn more um, about behaviors in young children, how to better understand them, how better to respond and deal with them, what are your recommendations for resources for those families and practice, practitioners? Yeah. Um, I mentioned one, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, uh, and he actually, when COVID hit, he did lots of these Zoom calls with anybody that wanted to come and went through the stress cycle. And his, again, his work's more focused on uh, children that have been through trauma uh, or toxic stress, but it's very relevant to us understanding behavior and why we see these intense behaviors. So uh, he's, he's one of the big ones that has helped me kind of take a different perspective. Uh, Stuart Shanker, who is, um, has a, a couple books, actually, one's called Self-Reg, uh, he's another one that helped me kind of better understand behavior and helped me reframe the way I look at it. Um, he has some very practical kind of acronyms and um, catchy little phrases and things he uses to help parents, teachers, whoever, uh, change the way they're thinking, change the way they respond. And I can give you links to the different websites so you can include that. That'd be great. Yeah. So I will include those links that Michael shares with me in the um, description of the podcast episode. And um, Michael, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you thank for you. your willingness to share. I know you're a very busy person, so I appreciate you squeezing us in for this. Um, and I just hope this episode reaches lots of families, lots of people working with young children um, so that they can share this information with the families they serve. And I hope it, it, um, you know, helps the greater good in understanding that tantrums are just a form of communication and the importance of us, again, kind of looking at ourselves, reflecting on ourselves as adults and how we respond to them. And then also mm -hmm. how we anticipate them so that we can offer help to the child before it even gets to that point. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, so everyone, Please remember to follow Milestones and Miracles on Facebook, and we're at Milestones Miracles on Instagram. And also, if you listen to this episode and you found it helpful, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review, that certainly helps our podcast to become more visible to the, the audience and to reach more people and offer more help to those who are looking for it. So thank you for tuning in. And Michael, take care and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.